What's up, everybody? Let's spin some yarn. Talking to, I had duty the other day, uh, and we were talking about a couple of different uh, things throughout the course of the duty day. Uh, there was one having to do with like some log taking issues that had happened over the weekend with some of the watch standers and like the, the corrective measures that are generally taken and that were taken in this scenario as a result. And we were also talking about like tag outs uh, for the, I know I talk all the time about I'm a cook, but I stand what's called a duty chief on a submarine. It's kind of, um, I don't know what the equivalent would be on a surface ship or in other communities, but um, basically I'm the senior enlisted on the submarine for the duty section. Uh, I'm involved uh, in like an administrative review and kind of a dummy check in the tag out and work controls processes and then uh, responsible for all the security forces on board, stuff like that. So um it's kind of like a, I think that it's like an OD or CDO merge with like a chief of the guard type thing where I, you kind of do everything because it's a smaller platform. You don't really need as many supervisors, et cetera. But anyway, so that that's what I was doing, uh, which is why I was involved in that kind of a conversation. But we were talking about basically the, it, the, the ship has a work controls. The ship has a work controls instruction. And in that instruction, they incorporated uh, like basically like phases of, uh, restrictions kind of where, uh, the process starts with like the normal process, as many of you know, I'm sure, uh, there's a, you prove the process to whoever they, uh, sign as authorizing officer. And then there's a, a first checker and a second checker when you're hanging the tags, right? Sometimes there's like a, if there's a repair activity involved, they're involved as well, but they added like a third checker process where within a certain amount of time coming down on the on the boat to start uh, an availability where they're going to be doing a lot of work control stuff uh, they came up with like a almost like f- they it, mirroring like force protection conditions it was like work controls condition whatever right so they alpha bravo charlie um, and uh, they were in bravo which required a third checker um, it, as a lot of you know having a lot more experience with this process than I do. Uh, it delays work a lot, if not properly planned, right? With anything, you should be properly planning, getting as ahead as you as you can, right? As, as ahead as the process will allow and is like operationally feasible. Uh, and one of the things on one of my former submarines at a cab of mine who had a ton of work controls experience because of his rate, uh, one of his like policies was like, you should be doing everything in preparation for whatever work you're going to be doing the following day and getting all the tags uh, off AO'd and, and done and having all the packages done and all the admins done so that when sailors come in the following day and they have that work list to be done before, this is the, these are the things you got to get done before you go home. There's nothing administrative holding them up except maybe some permissions, right? And that's it. But they're not standing there for two hours waiting on somebody to sign as authorizing officer or having to go through the proving process before they can start the work so that they're playing the hurry up and wait game and their time's being wasted and we're not getting things done as efficiently as we could have. So uh, I, I was involved in some conversations yesterday because we're not in a, in a super arduous availability right now. There's not a ton going on, but there's work control, always work controls going on. Everybody's always doing maintenance, right? 
Um, and these, some of these guys were just doing some regularly scheduled maintenance, but the work controls instruction was forcing them into getting a, a, a third checker. The third checker has to be seven or above. You can imagine like how difficult that can be at times, especially when there's meetings and training and all this other stuff going on, on the ship. So especially on submarines, it's like, you're good luck. Like there's so many meetings throughout the day and, um, the, the junior listed have come to calling them, uh, stop work meetings where the, the guys can't do anything. So they're just standing by, just staring at, at the wall, uh, watching dust accumulate on horizontals as they don't get their tags approved to do the work that they need to do that day before they go home. So we were talking about just the administrative processes as a whole, right. And, and how the things like a third checker and, and I'm not, I'm picking on this because it's what we were talking about and it's what I saw happen recently. I'm not picking on it because I don't think in some circumstances that these administrative corrective measures are necessary and that they don't work a little bit when, when required, right? I'm not like completely destroying them conceptually, but what we were talking about was how when any problem seems to arise that administrative corrective measures seem to be the go-to move, right? Like the, the first thing we think of is, okay, how can I restrict and like, uh, administratively burden this problem until it doesn't exist anymore? Like we, it's almost, and I, and I see it in some higher level meetings where it's like, where we're planning towards, addressing the symptom and also addressing the perceived reaction. And I mean, like perceived by the outside world, senior entities, right? Like for us, it's like the submarine squadron and group levels. Like if we have a problem, like if we have something bad happen, what are we doing about it? Well, we're sitting around talking about what happened, but we're, we're spending the majority of the time talking about like the the symptoms of the greater problem and then we come up with administrative corrective measures to address those symptoms and usually they're geared towards like addressing those symptoms but also towards looking like we're addressing those symptoms and really and the problem overall right like I think more often than not, we do things to make it look like we're fixing something instead of actually fixing it. Because the vast majority of the time, actually fixing it's a lot harder than addressing some symptoms and making it look like we're attacking the problem. Um, I don't know how much of it is not knowing the difference, right? I, I don't know how much of it is people genuinely thinking that the symptom of the problem is the problem and that that's what we need to address and that by conditioning through years and years of doing this for a living that administrative corrective measures are the solution. I think that's definitely part of it, especially in my world. So to give you a little more context, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but on submarines, every officer with the exception of the supply officer is nuclear trained. I think they call them 1120s. Uh, and I, and I use that only because that I hear that a lot as kind of almost like a joke, like these, these freaking 1120s, right? Like where they, they're engineers, essentially they're nuclear engineers. They're, they're very, uh, they're analytical, but they're very, um, I don't know. They, they think very similarly and they think in a way that, you know, procedural compliance, uh, <laughs> 
by they measure things and use metrics and 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 checklists and stuff and that's how you get things done that's how you fix problems right um there's not a lot of uh the uh, kind of i don't know the right left side brain thing but the other side of the brain there's not a lot of that being used there's not a lot of creativity and free thinking there's not a lot of like dialing like like pulling pulling your worldview back and kind of analyzing it and looking at a bigger picture and saying look like what's really the problem here and what's really the solution as a result of that recognition and there's also the the last part of it that frustrates me a lot and i think this is part of the problem too i don't know how big of a part but it definitely is a part and it's significant is the t- the temporary nature of what we do and what I mean by temporary nature is you have an organization. Everybody's a part of that organization in one way or another, whether you're a cog in the machine or, you know, you're in a leadership or management style position, whether, you know, CO all the way down to the most junior deck seaman, you're a part of this organization, but you're only a part of this organization for four years or less generally. Um, so there's some anomalies in there. I know I've known guys that have been on the same submarine for eight years before, but all voluntary extensions, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go down that road. But by and large, the longest period of time you're going to be on board a unit of any kind is going to be about four years. I'd say that's probably the average. I know some some sailors, they're five, some are there three officers, I think, are two to three. But generally, average is probably four, maybe three and a half, four, something like that, right? So in, in knowing that, career progression we're all humans we're all creatures that want to progress uh in, in our career and and we kind of know what we need to get there right like it's not a big secret i've talked about that a bunch in the advancement episodes and everything else it's it's not kept secret what you need to do to advance right whether you need to fit and, and it's not just big navy wise right because a lot of the things i i have to argue with people about like like the way that i explain how you can get ahead in life uh it, it's my way is like Novocaine. You know, it might take a little while, but eventually it's going to work every time, right? Other people see shortcuts in, in organizations. Like I, the, I see the baked sale joke a lot on Reddit. I think, I, I don't know. I, I've never seen the baked sale thing, but like it's in, it's for sure a joke in the Corman community and maybe some others where people that do bake sales get do well on evals, I guess. Um, I mean, I see a little bit of it fundraising for like uh, first class associations and chief associations, stuff like that. But it's not that stuff's not going to get you anywhere as far as evals go, at least on submarines. But the relationship I'm trying to, to form here in this little stream of consciousness is that we all want to get ahead. We're all human beings with egos and, and ambitions. Right. So understanding the temporary nature of what we do, there's a life cycle to everything. So I, I know that. I need to do these things to excel. I know exactly what criteria I'm evaluated on. I know what I need to do to get to the next promotion or the next big job. So a lot of times I think we model our performance off of that life cycle of, look, I'm only going to be here for three years. So these are the things that I need to do to uh, succeed in uh, like promoting, progressing, uh, and for the great, the great ones, hopefully that we're more focused on mission accomplishment, uh, professional development of our, our subordinates, stuff like that. But I, again, I know, and I fall victim to it too. I know there's a, a, a expiration date on my time on board. So 
at what point am I going to start to be like, this is about to be someone else's problem. So am I going to continue to invest in the future knowing I'm not going to be here? I try really hard, but I, you know, I, I fall victim to it as well, where it's like, you know what? I like, this isn't, this is a future <laughs> LCPO's problem. Like I, it's not that I don't care. It's that I got to prioritize my, my life problems. And maybe this one isn't at the top of the list, but I definitely, I try like an example would be like uh, the, my submarine's about to go into uh, shipyard availability. It's going to be pretty long. Uh, there, a lot of my equipment and my spaces, everything's really old. It's really worn out. And so like I've, I put jobs in knowing we were going eventually. I submitted jobs to get all the equipment replaced, all the tile ripped out and replaced, uh, a bunch of other stuff, just upgrades, modernizations that wouldn't have happened otherwise, knowing I'm not going to be here to see it. Uh, but somebody's going to be here when this thing comes out of the shipyard and I'd like for them to have a, a brand new galley and, and you know, uh, everything in a great material condition. So in my next job, when I come down on their submarine to evaluate them, because that's what I'm doing next, that I at least set this one submarine up to be in the best possible position to, to succeed, right? Because there was a lot of times where I got evaluated. I was on the receiving end of an inspector's, you know, scrutinization and a lot of the things I got hit on being sanitation related stuff, whatever, like standing water and just all this other, like <laughs> you're just handicapped by crappy equipment and poor material condition. When something's leaking water and I'm getting hit because there's standing water, it's like, what do you want me to do? Like sit here with my finger in the hole? Like, I mean, there's only so much JB weld and you know, like RTV and silicone I can put on this piece of crap machine before it's like, completely just chiclet and duct taped together to, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing the best I can. There's only so much you can do uh, with crappy rundown equipment. And, and like, I, I know you all know how I feel and I, my, my issues with the, these things are probably way less important uh, comparatively than people that are working with like jets and helicopters and all kinds of other stuff. And, and, you can't get the parts. You can't get the time to do the maintenance. You can't get, you know, the op tempo is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. So you're doing whatever you can do uh, to get it into an operational status. So that's kind of one of the examples is like, it's thinking into the future, knowing I'm not going to be here. I, I try not to take my foot off the, off the gas. You know, I try to continue to do things to set up the next generation of, of people in that life cycle. Right. So as far as like, solutions to problems that we see it's kind of I think we fall into that trap I've been to a bunch of critiques been to a bunch of war councils and emergency meetings and planning things where we're talking about solving problems but really what we're talking about is is putting out the fires that we see for long enough to get through whatever we're trying to get through operationally and then you kind of forget about it because there's only so many flaming chainsaws you can juggle. Like it, I get it. So you're prioritizing those things and you're and you're looking at it like, hey, this is the fire that's the closest to the house right now. So this is the one I got to put out. So you address it. And sometimes when we screw things up, we have to address corrective actions or administrative processes that we have to add in to address that problem. But really, are we addressing the problem or are we just putting band-aids on bullet holes? 
right? Are we just stopping the bleeding long enough to get through whatever we're doing operationally? And then, well, okay, we're not at sea anymore, so that thing doesn't matter anymore. So you can kind of like let it fade to black until we come back around again, and then we're screwing the same thing up. And then we're looking at it like, okay, like we just did this a couple of months ago and we screwed up the same way. And now we're putting the same administrative corrective actions into place to quote unquote fix it. But it's like, are we, what are we fixing? What are we fixing by administratively burdening sailors further, right? It's already cumbersome, but like, and I'm not just talking about work controls, right? It's, it's anything. Um, If something gets screwed up, we tend to like, air towards this what administrative burden can I put on this process or what like extra supervisory element can I put into place even though there was plenty of supervision right like there was already supervisors there but let's add another one um like I've done formality watches where I'm literally just walking around the submarine just observing things as like another supervisory presence when there's supervisory presence built into the structure of every division, every watch section, every evolution that happens on board a submarine. So what am I doing? What I and like you're saying that you're upsetting the watch bill, you're you're taking sleep and and time away from all these these senior supervisors so that they can walk around and just check on people like that. And that's literally what I was doing. I had a notepad and I'd write down little deficiencies if I saw them. But I mean, it was like they call it, they've called them alertness watches before, uh, formality watches, whatever, where you're just walking around checking on people. And it's like, okay, there's a supervisor in every single place that I go visit. So what failed do we do we really need more supervisory oversight or do the supervisors that exist need more training need more education need more time to sleep so that they're not falling asleep on watch right like what's the real problem and when we do things like critiques or fact findings or even investigations like formal investigations for wrongdoing right how much time do we spend owning whatever mishap or or problem or you know, log taking issue or whatever, how much time do we spend owning the fact that the sailor that did it is this is a sailor that we trained and qualified. So if I trained and qualified them and they screwed something up, how much ownership am I taking in the, in that they screwed it up under, under my watch, under my supervision directly or indirectly. I trained them which I clearly didn't train them well enough. I educated them. I clearly didn't educate them well enough. If a leader screws up, I clearly didn't develop that and supervise that leader effectively. How much of that ownership are we taking on ourselves? And then how much of that problem are we critically analyzing and actually finding the problem? Because the critiques I've been in were identifying root causes, except we seldom are identifying root causes. Because a lot of times, like when I type up one of those reports, like let's say I screwed something up and I, I have... I've caused a critique before more than once. Um, some of them I don't really think needed to be critiques, but that's neither here nor there. But there's a couple that, I mean, I knew why I was there. I owned it. I agreed with the fact that we needed to do what we were doing. But when we did it, I didn't feel like we came out of there critically analyzing it and coming up with the actual problem, the actual root causes and actual corrective measures that were meaningful, right? 
not that they all are completely useless, but the vast majority of them, the things we're pointing at, we're putting band-aids on bullet holes. We really are. Like I, we're playing Dutch boy, we're running around the room, sticking our finger in one hole just long enough to get through whatever we're doing, and then we can take our finger out of that hole and go to the next one. That's now more important because it it is. <laughs> because of the life cycle of what we do, because of how temporary it all is. And like I like I just need to slow down the bleeding long enough to get through this, and then I can walk away and it's fine and it's not a big deal. It's something I was thinking about a lot the other day on duty, and I'm, 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 I feel like it doesn't just apply to little operational things on ships, submarines, you know, air wings, whatever. I think when we look at bigger problems, the same problem exists because I mean, you go all the way up to the CNO level. How long is the CNO in office? A couple years, three years tops. I mean, there, I know there was one. I forget who it was. I think it was Admiral Ruffhead that, or Mullen that was in that position for like eight years. But it's like, how, how long are they there? How long is the MCPON in office? Two, three years tops? So it, so it's there's still a, a known temporary nature to what we do. And I'm not, I don't know that the solution is that the MCPON is CNO are there for eight years, but like, I, I, there's it, there might be something to that. I know the Naval Reactors Admiral is supposed to be there for like eight years and it's for the continuity and all that other stuff. So that I think it's specifically to address that the problem I'm talking about. Some smart guys over there, nuclear reactors and girls. But it, there's a temporary nature from top to bottom. So that if we're looking at it, we can look at a cycle of the same problem occurring over and over again where we come up with a temporary solution and that temporary solution doesn't really fix anything or maybe it fixes a little bit of a thing and then, but we, but we still find ourselves right back in the same place. Right. And I, I mean, I can point the finger at a lot of things and leadership development education is my favorite, but the, as, as it changes and evolves, it's like we're, we're, looking at it in a way that if you go out in the outside world and you look for leadership development and education, it's looks completely different than what we do in the military. And, and why is that? Because it's so critically important to what we do and our ability to accomplish the mission. But you can't find a, a formal and just like solid leadership development and education like process and and like curriculum and uh like we're not aggressively attacking the problem of insufficient leadership develop, development and education in the navy like we, we occasionally revisit it and we'll like add something to it and then we just kind of let that sputter along for a few years and then like ah like maybe we can like revamp that or update it or add something else to it but and you could point at so many things like like my my rating, for instance, uh, uh, people love to take shots at cooks. And, and I understand why I cooked professionally for six years before I joined the Navy. On my first shore duty, I went and got a fancy culinary degree. I'm classically trained. I know a lot more than a lot of active duty CSs do on ships and submarines and stuff. I'm not the best ever. I'm not the most trained, right? Uh, if you go, especially if you go to the enlisted aid community, good grief, those guys are amazing. And girls, those people <laughs> are incredible. I know a lot of people in that community uh, and w like they're very, very highly trained. 
Uh, and I mean, we're talking like high level restaurant quality stuff. The stuff you'd go to like a Michelin starred restaurants and see, I mean, these guys are incredible, but that's not on ships and submarines. What you get on as a customer on ships and submarines is a sailor that got at best 25 training days to learn from generally by and large zero experience in the culinary field. And then they go on an almost an equal amount of leave prior to showing up to your command. They're basically useless when they get there. Like they don't retain any of it. They don't get any repetitions in what is at its at its core a trade. It's something that you need a lot of repetitions to get good at. Uh, people can say it's an art all they want, and that's cute. But like at a, at a high level, you're right, it's an art. But at its foundation, at its core, at its very basic levels as you're coming up and progressing, it is a craft. It is something that you're following a recipe or a procedure of some kind and you're repeating it and, and until you can get to the point where you're making a high quality pot product and it's repeatable. So that's, I mean, it's a craft. You have to practice your craft in a, in a, in able, like in order to get to the level of it being an art, right? Uh, they get no time to practice it. They might get exposed to 75% of the techniques they need to to not suck at this one time. And then they, and they're making like, yo, here, go make eight muffins. And then they make it one time and then they forget all about how to do it because they don't get any reps. And then they get a t this big break before they ever see that again. And then they're in the fleet and they don't know how to do anything. And so they need to relearn it all. Uh, and a lot of the people that are in the supervisory positions never got any formal culinary training at a real culinary school outside of those 25 training days. So they've just been figuring it out as they go along and they may or may not take it seriously because we also are a very admin heavy rate and the financials and inventory and all that other crap seems to be more important. And it's probably more important because there aren't that many people that have high level culinary training and experience. So they weight all the other stuff that's easier to understand for most people uh, as more important. But if you look at the civilian sector, the like shortest possible certificate program that you can find out there is six months long, six months, six months. And I collect a lot of military and I have a lot of the old Navy cookbooks. I have a lot of the old course material from some of our training back in the day, like early 1900s. And even before that, uh, and it used to be that long because that's, what's required to be able to be able to do this effectively. Um, and so you look at it and you're like, well, okay, so we have this problem that the quality of food on ships and submarines isn't that great. Not a lot of people know how to make things from scratch. Not a lot of people know how to make food better. Not a lot of people know how to do a lot of the things that we should and, and could do in the very well-equipped professional kitchens that we have on board. Uh, and, the problem is that the school has been shortened to the point that it's a joke. Like it, I loved being an A school instructor. It was one of the highlights of my career. Uh, I still am in touch with a lot of those students and, and I still do everything I can to help them succeed. And they are a large reason why I even do this podcast was just a, if they were having these problems, I assume that a large amount of sailors are having these problems and I thought I could help. But the school itself, I mean, they didn't learn how to cook there. They didn't. I mean, they got a, a tiny bit of exposure to it and then they got thrown in the deep end of the pool. So, yeah, what you experience on the fleet end, it's generally not great unless they're aggressively pursuing professional development 
while out there actively, you know, serving on ship submarines and, and air wings and as CVs and et cetera, right? Because uh, they don't get a lot of it otherwise. Like, there are some great programs out there. A float training group does a lot of good training from what I hear. I've never experienced them directly. Navy food management team. Uh, sometimes there's like restaurant exchange programs, et cetera. So if you're on shore duty, you can get a culinary degree like I did, et cetera. But not, not everybody does that. And that's all like an initiative based generally, unless you have a great, you know, leadership structure that's sending you to all those trainings and stuff like that. But how often does our operational schedule allow us to aggressively take advantage of things like that? So I, my point is there's a lot there all going, circling back to the same thing, right? There's a root cause at the base of every problem we see. A lot of the things that we see are symptoms of a bigger problem. Just like the leadership development and education thing I routinely point at through all these podcasts, uh, everything. Like, I can't, how do we do work controls better? Is it continue to layer burdensome administrative process on top of burdensome administrative process? Do you really think that's going to motivate a junior sailor to do a better job at work controls? Or like watch bill writing or watch standing principles and formality or physical fitness or any of the things like, do you really think that layering pain on top of pain, laying a a painful process on top of a painful process as a corrective measure to address the symptom of a problem is going to fix anything. It's one of the bigger reasons why sailors are separating from the military. I can tell you that you can put that poll out on some website that has a lot more traffic than me. And I'm pretty sure I'll be proven right. So that's that's kind of the thought process. It was something I was thinking about a lot on duty the other day, and I, as always, I'm interested to hear what you all think of it. It's it's kind of a broader concept that I attach to again leadership development and education, which is kind of like my main cause. But then you just you can apply it to everything from the very top all the way to the very bottom, and just the thought process as well of the of the short life cycle the uh, when compared to you know the long term. Uh, health of a of a command or an organization, right? The the short life cycle that we go through, and how you guys think that may or may not affect it. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, I have a theory in my brain about <laughs> sailors rotating, and like I went coast to coast every time, and I thought it was absurd that I went from one class of submarine to another class of submarine to another class of submarine, and had to spend the first year relearning where everything was and how the ship worked differently and all these other things and qualifying watches, I could have requalified and been a lot more useful uh, and then progressed even further had I not had to relearn a whole new type of submarine. So I thinking about like, why do we PCS? Why, why do you move me from one op area to another op area and one class of submarine to another class of submarine or one type of aircraft to another type of aircraft or whatever the case may be when I spent four years becoming a high level expert on, on, uh, this type of submarine or on a destroyer or on F-35s or whatever, some type of helicopter. I don't even know. I'm making this stuff up. I don't know anything about <laughs> aircraft, but uh, so the same, kind of the same thing. Like why, what about those things are, are a problem? What about those things are contributing to this thing, to the band-aids on bullet holes concept that I, I see it and I see more and more. It just seems to pervade just everything. Like, if you really critically analyze these problems and you really wanted to fix the problem, I don't think the corrective measures would look like this. And I think leaders having the tools to, to analyze and recognize these things 
again, circles back around to leadership and the development of leaders and the education that we provide them. I think if they were equipped and, and trained and, and we made these things important, these things being like how you actually critically analyze and fix these problems. And then when I take the time to go through the growing pains of, you know, training, retraining or fixing or whatever that the outside entity that I answer to is not, you know, thumbing their nose at me and telling me I'm wrong. Right. Like I, I think the concern for whatever they want and however they want it instead of what's best for the organization, which the supervisors on board that platform and, and the supervisors involved in, in leading that organization are going to know a lot better than the people in the ivory tower. Um, not having to worry about them and their opinion on it, which I know everything needs QA. I know everything. Yeah. I know why it's structured the way that it is, but I think we could do a much better job of, of creating a structure where I I'm not as worried about it. You know, like I, I don't have that fear and the nagging me in the back of my mind that if I, if I do it this way, I, it, I may, I may know it's the right answer, but if I can't sell it to the ivory tower, that might affect my evaluation or fit rep. Like, I shouldn't have to worry about that ever. And I know a lot of people do, and I know it drives a lot of decision-making. And, and I, ch I challenge you to convince me I'm wrong. Uh, and, and like anything, I'm always interested to hear your opinions on, on all of it. Uh, hit us up, provide that feedback, or ask questions, or provide comments, or uh, concerns, or anything that you want to talk to me about. Hit me up, don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message me, don't give up the shit podcast, or... You can DM me on Instagram at DGuts Podcast. Uh, hit me up about anything. Always here. Uh, excited to be uh, done with going to sea for the foreseeable future. I will be riding a bunch of uh, boats and stuff, so there will be little stretches where I'm gone, but not much, and I'll, and I'll try to work on a lot of this stuff while I'm on travel. So uh, should see a lot more content and a lot more development of the platform as a whole, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, as always, if you guys got any input, provide it. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 